0: Hi, I'm Madvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a new topic or trend so you can stay informed the easy way. So
1: Reena, what are we talking about this week? I just got back from traveling. And although I have traveled a lot in my life, I am still really terrible at dealing with jet lag. For a week, I'm essentially useless after I travel. And it's always been this way. I've always been very, very bad at it, even when I was a child. And this just got me thinking, what even is jet lag? And why does it interfere with our sleep so much? And why can't I sleep in general? Although that's probably a bigger question and too big to answer in this podcast. But who knows? Maybe. So yes, this week I have been thinking about jet lag. What is it? Also just, why can't I sleep? How have you been feeling over the last week? So you got back from the US. On Sunday. So Sunday, I'm like a zombie. I've never been able to sleep on planes. Just maybe when I was a kid and you can like sprawl out. But as like a teenager adult, I just like, I cannot sleep on planes. So I arrived back in Germany and I haven't slept in 24 hours. So the first day, I'm like a zombie. Apparently you're not supposed to go to sleep. Like you're not supposed to take a nap. You're supposed to power through to the evening. I never do that. Of course I fail. So I take an afternoon nap and then I get up and I feel worse, obviously, because you are completely confused, disoriented. You just had a nap at a really weird time, but you haven't slept enough to make up for the lack of sleep. So you're even more tired because like you slept like an hour or two. I keep saying you, I mean, I mean me, obviously. And then what always happens is I will get up, probably eat something, and then try to go back to sleep, and then I can't. Wide awake. For the next week, what ends up happening is I'll be grumpy and sleepy all day, because I'll wake up and I'll just be like... Not having slept enough. And then when it comes time to sleep, because I'm still on in a different time zone, I will be awake until like 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, and then obviously have to get up to go to work, so the rhythm will repeat itself. So for one week, I am just grumpy and in a terrible mood, really confused, don't really know where I am, what's going on. And I've heard somewhere that it's supposed to take like two to three days or three or four days. It takes me a week.
0: Oh, no, I think you're right because it says for every hour of time difference, so between here and Boston it's six hours, it's a day of adaption because you can readapt your time, but you only readapt your circadian rhythm, which is your internal biological clock. You can only readjust the amount of like one hour per day, so you're right on time. Like you should be days. Yeah, so you should be feeling better around from today.
1: Yes, I mean I was really grumpy yesterday for no apparent reason, but mood is linked also to
0: circadian rhythms, and they think that the whole function of like mood as well, one of the things is an indicator for your internal biological clock. So life on this planet is about 3.8 billion years old and the only kind of constant thing that we actually have on this planet also like a fundamental organising principle of this earth that we live in is the fact that it goes around the sun and there's light and there's dark and there's about a 24-hour cycle. And so there's a theory that's like every single living organism has an internal clock, and most organisms have been discovered to have their own sort of internal clock that reflects or that plays with this external sort of rhythm. And yeah, there's even remember when we were in school and they used to say, Oh, the seven signs of life. One is, Did you do that? No, no, sorry. <laughs> Maybe you missed that lesson. We did something like the seven essential signs of life, and one was, like, movement or something. Anyway, now they're saying, well, maybe a circadian rhythm is also, like, an essential form of life, because even creatures who live really in the deep, dark sea and stuff, they still sort of somehow know the Earth's pattern, and they have this sort of internal clock
1: and a rhythm. Maybe they taught us that lesson at, like, 8 in the morning, so I wasn't... I was physically present, but not mentally present. So that's probably when we learned that lesson. Yeah,
0: exactly. So our circadian clocks change during our lives. So the reasons teenagers sleep longer is their clocks are just different when you're a teenager. So from around 10 to around 20, roughly, you do actually sleep later and want to stay up later. And then that starts changing. And then later on, you start rising earlier. So yeah, we also have like Our internal clocks change at different periods of time, which is why, I guess, 8 o'clock in the morning, your brain as a child or a teenager is just not awake enough to process
1: things. In university, I had a philosophy lecture at 8 in the morning. Don't remember a single thing I learned. And I recently was looking at my notes. and I was like, oh, this is all really interesting. No recollection. I took the notes. I spent money on that. When I was a child... I actually did not believe that the word jet lag was real because it sounded so fake to me as a word. Like it didn't seem like a real thing. And the reason behind this is, is because it's not actually that old of a term, right? So the 1950s was like the golden age of jets when like air travel became really popular. And this man called Horace Sutton termed the word in 1966 in an LA Times article. 1966 is not that long ago. That's, just shy of like 60 odd years ago. It's a relatively new word. And I remember just thinking, wow, it's, I don't know, it just struck me as such an odd word that didn't really fit in with any of the other word patterns I was seeing in the world. (laughs) So in his article
0: in the LA Times, he wrote, You can count on contracting jet lag, a debility not unakin to a hangover. Jet lag derives from the simple fact that jets travel so fast that your body rhythms are left behind. So your body rhythms lag behind. So you've been in Berlin time physically, but your body rhythms are still kind of set to Boston. But there's another thing that since people have been researching this, they figured out that your body rhythm is not just one rhythm. So you've got one sort of master conductor. I'm simplifying the whole scientific thing here. But you've got one master kind of conductor clock in your brain. That's your main one that kind of oversees all your other rhythms. And there are many, many, many of them. So the reason you feel so shitty is that, you know, your liver might be like, you know, Mumbai time and your heart might be in Boston time and your brain might be in Berlin time by now or something, you know. So it's not just that your entire body is changing time zone. It's like every single little internal clock is also out of sync with one one another because it takes each of those little processes a different amount of time to readjust.
1: That sounds fun. I was listening to this podcast about jet lag, and they defined jet lag as your body is out of sync with its environment and all of the cues it used to regulate itself. And then they went on to describe all of the side effects or symptoms, I'm trying to think of the right word, that jet lag can cause and it's dramatic. You can have, obviously, cognitive problems with thinking and problem solving, which, if you tried to talk to me on Monday or Tuesday, sorry. There are also various health problems associated with jet lag, so you obviously have things like fatigue, depression. This was my favorite one that they listed. Okay. So, because of the changes in air pressure, I guess this isn't really technically... symptom of jet lag but just a symptom of traveling but it's still really fun air traveling air traveling yes so because of the air pressure change you look like i know know this (laughs) it causes gas to form in your intestines so you get really gassy
0: and did you know that airplane seats are made particularly to absorb farts the
1: sound the smell
0: everything they just absorb your
1: flatulence
0: airplane seats are made from special material in special ways so that you can fart
1: in. <laughs>
0: that is amazing.
1: All really, we'll things
0: think... should be made of that, really? You should be able to fart everywhere.
1: Back to the symptoms of jet lag. If you are a person who menstruates, it can mess with your menstruation. It can actually make it stronger. It makes you hungrier. And actually, jet lag gets worse as you increase in age. In 2006, the University of Virginia did a study on lab rats where they simulated the exposure to jet lag so they recreated the circumstances as if you were flying from DC to Paris. And they found that the older rats died quicker than the younger rats.
0: Oh, there was one study that I had a question mark about, though, because they had this colony of elderly mice in a lab. At the end of their life in the lab, they decided to stimulate just constant jet lag conditions. So they changed how they put the lights on and off in their room precisely six hours later than the preceding week. So like one week, the lights would come on at 8am each day, and then they would switch off at 8pm. And then the next week, it would be 2pm and then 2am for a week. And then the next week, it would be like 8pm to 8am. And basically, all the mice died. But then I was like, yeah, but they're all elderly mice that have been experimented on all their lives. And I would kind of understand when they're just like, okay, I can't be bothered with this. So, yeah. I'm just going to um, die. But yeah, no, I didn't know about the comparison with younger mice, which is interesting. But aren't older things just more likely to die? You know what I mean? Like I had this question mark about this elder younger thing.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, I also think that like, how similar really are we to mice? Mice have slightly
0: faster circadian rhythms. Than we do. Mm -hmm. But it has been shown that, like night shift workers, for example, they have totally adverse effects for having lives that are out of touch with their natural circadian rhythms. And those adverse effects include fluctuations in mood, anxiety, irritability, loss of empathy, risk taking, alcohol abuse, loss of memory and concentration, reduced immunity and increased infection, type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, cancer, depression. And psychosis. So when we think about our society and how warehouse workers, truck drivers, you know, in order so like a bunch of us can live comfortably during the day or whatever, night time, nurses, shift workers, doctors, all of those people, they are really putting their health on the
1: line so we can live a comfortable life. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I've got jet lag. Exactly. A little bit. I mean, those are very similar to the effects of jet lag, right? Those are the same symptoms as jet lag. So it seems like they're living in a constant state of jet lag.
0: Yeah, more or less. There's an interesting study where a guy in the Netherlands went into like old people's homes and old people's homes are, like, sort of really poorly lit. So what he did was he increased the amount of light in the day areas of the old people's homes because they were living mostly, like, indoors. They spent most of the time indoors. And then he darkened the nighttime areas. And famously, in old people's homes, they just don't sleep much and is disordered. One in three people anyway have disordered sleep patterns in our society, which I think is also about light and modernity and city lights and computer mm. lights and blue lights and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, he did that and it really fixed a lot of the sleep problems. Plus, a lot of those patients were exhibiting like signs of dementia and stuff and the dementia sort of got better and their memory improved. Just because of this kind of change in like this indicator of light and dark and having these clear boundaries. So one of the things to prevent jet lag is actually, because all of the cures are like afterwards, oh yeah, stay awake like you were saying or, you know, take melatonin or whatever. But one of the ways to make it less crappy is to start managing it before you fly. So start resetting, you know, I was saying one hour a day, you know, is what you could do, start resetting your bodily clock and exposing yourself to light at different times, like really light, bright light, and then putting yourself into dark conditions, you know, to suit the place that you're going a bit earlier on and sort of like starting that process of readjustment before you fly. Obviously, that requires planning and stuff. I think there's an app for that. There's
1: an app for everything. Yeah, there
0: are apps where it tells you, you know, when to expose yourself to light and dark and that will trick your body into a little bit more of a transition rather than this sort of abrupt thing, which then you're dealing with all of the effects and this mess, a bigger mess later on.
1: I think that just in general, we should start, this has nothing to do with jet lag, but airplane etiquette. I was just thinking about how on the plane back I was trying to sleep and, like, the people next to me, in front of me, behind of me were all being ridiculous. If you snore, you shouldn't be allowed on a plane. Okay, that's not discriminatory at all. Yep, or you shouldn't be allowed to sleep on a plane. (laughs) There should be a private section in the back for people who snore. You know, before they used to have
0: a smoking and a non-smoking section, now they should have snoring, non-snoring.
1: They should have talking and not talking sections. To this day, I still do not understand why this is not. This is probably really complicated. But especially if you're traveling in the United States of America, where people like to talk to you for no apparent reason, especially on planes or when you're standing in line.
0: Yeah, but you need to shut it down straight away. Do not just shut it down.
1: Oh, absolutely. But on planes, I feel like you should be given the option to say, I don't want to talk or I want to talk so that all the people who want to chit-chat can sit together in the back with the snorers, and everyone who wants to sleep and be left alone can sit on their own.
0: And people with children.
1: Oh, yeah, people, people with children should get their own plane. Okay. Um- <laughs> well, no, but how great it would be if you had family flights? It would be amazing. All the children could play together. Yeah, and the parents could also have a break.
0: I was looking at the other effects of airplane travel, and famously, of course, children wail a lot on planes, and I don't know whether that's like, well, it's multiple reasons, and maybe also we just are stuck with it, so we hear it more, and maybe we think they do that more, but people are actually more emotional on planes, and I've noticed this in myself like I remember once I was watching Frozen on a plane and the only reason that I, I remember it was crying so much and then the air hostess came around with the food <laughs> and I was just a bit embarrassed because she could see the whole situation <laughs> like grown adult woman watching Frozen crying her eyes out but yeah apparently we do feel a bit more emotional on planes I mean I think there's also a permission to being up in the air sort of a little bit liberating as well. I don't know if you find that. You're kind of not attached to anything and you, you feel like you're out of time. You're sort of anonymous. You can just let yourself be in yeah. this in-between state.
1: I know what you mean because when you think about it, it's really unnatural. Humans are not meant to be at that height, right? Like this is something we've invented So we haven't invented being in the air. We've invented the technology that allows us to be in the air. So you're already in this kind of unnatural state of being that you're very rarely in. It's kind of like a no man's land a bit, you know? You're like hanging in the air. I know what you mean. You get more emotional on planes for sure. Yeah. This reminded
0: me because I was thinking of air travel and ages and ages and ages ago, I wrote an article about why the hell people drink tomato juice on planes. Because I was so flummoxed by it. Because you don't go to a restaurant and be like, I'll have a tomato juice. No one does that. But everyone on the plane goes, I'll have a Bloody Mary or tomato juice. Nobody ever orders a Bloody Mary or tomato juice ever. I do. I love Bloody Marys. Sorry. Okay, Bloody Mary maybe is kind of acceptable, but tomato juice is definitely not. There are several reasons for this, as I found out. I'm going to link this article in our newsletter. And one of the reasons is that actually our taste buds are not as strong in the air. Mm. So we don't taste as well, which is why all airplane food actually tastes bad because it just tastes bland and everyone puts like way more, all of the salt and pepper on it because they're like, I need this to taste. But one flavor does manage to translate up in the air and that's umami and tomato is it umami taste and yeah so according to a spokesperson from Lufthansa 1.5 million liters of tomato juice were consumed on their flights in 2015 making it just as popular as beer
1: now I want to go back into the air and try tomato juice I've never had anything but water on a flight
0: (laughs) I think the bloody mary thing is the alcohol thing just to like calm people's nerves and maybe help with their sort of emotional state because you know You're up in the air and you're kind of disconnected from everyone below. You might feel like the fear of flying or that you're not going to see them or, you know, this kind of anxiety or whatever. So people do drink. And then also there was another argument that I mentioned in this article. I use my time on this earth in optimum ways sometimes. There was an argument that actually tomato juice is linked to air travel in our collective consciousness because the invention of tomato juice and the Bloody Mary coincided with the rise of commercial aviation And in 1936, the famous pilot, Amelia Earhart, was quoted as saying that her favorite working beverage was tomato juice. And in 1965, Ohio, which is the birthplace of aviation, declared tomato juice as the state's official beverage. I also interviewed someone who drinks tomato juice (laughs) on a daily basis. No, only on planes. Only on planes. And her argument, I just thought was genius. She was like... Is the way to get a very cheap meal because tomato juice is basically like cold soup and you get salt and pepper with it too. So she was just like, it's a way
1: to get past the airlines sort of charging you for food. I always see people drink ginger ale on a flight, but I feel like I don't ever see, I mean, I know ginger ale is not as popular in Europe as it is in the United States, but at the same time, I don't think I've ever seen anyone drink ginger ale in a restaurant. It's also just like a flight thing. But I think ginger ale is known to like settle your stomach. So sometimes I think that might be linked to people feeling sick on
0: planes. Yeah. And it's also a very strong taste, ginger, isn't it?
1: Yeah. As well. So the strong tastes are the
0: things that, that you can taste.
1: I love the implication that ginger ale tastes anything like ginger. It tastes like sugar. <laughs> just like all American soft drinks. Pure sugar. I really wish that I had taken the time to listen to this episode before I came here but I thought of it just as we sat down to record this. Maintenance Phase did an entire episode on Matthew Walker's The Sleep Loss Epidemic, where they essentially tore the entire book apart, and about how everything he says in the book is factually incorrect, exaggerated, not fact-checked, a lie, highly worth listening to.
0: He was very not fact-checked. I think that was a really big problem of that book which is amazing that it got through the publishers and everything
1: yeah yeah and but one of the things that they kind of say at the end is that because this book was so commercially successful it sort of brought a lot of attention to sleep science and has funneled a lot of money and research into sleep science which is one of the reasons why they think that the or they on the podcast came to the conclusion that is the reason why there wasn't more of an uproar from like the sleep scientific community because they're like well anything that's going to bring more attention and money to Our area of expertise, great. But sort of what I realized from this episode is that, like, we don't actually know that much about sleep. Like, sleep is not that well researched yet. They were talking in the episode, they were picking apart a couple of his arguments around why people sleep. And the conclusion they came to is like, we have a bunch of theories and we have like some ideas, but there's still so much work and research to be done.
0: Yeah. So the scientists in this field who's written a book about it and everything, and uh, you can see interviews with him on YouTube. We can link to some. His name is Russell Foster. He's a professor of circadian neuroscience at Oxford University and the author of a book called Lifetime. And he recently wrote this paper about the fact that everyone's like, why do we sleep? And he's just like, it's just as complex a question almost as, like, why do we wake? It's just so fundamental to us, and, like, we're always trying to, like, find uh, reasons for it, but there are, like, many, many different reasons, and it's just part of this entire rhythm of our lives, you know? I've been listening to uh, this great podcast called Real Dictators.
1: Brilliant podcast.
0: Love it. You need a lot of time to listen to it, because each standard dictator – not Hitler, therefore – Three episodes of three hours on each dictator.
1: Perfect. If you're getting on a long-haul flight, download all the episodes. (laughs) But the
0: funny thing is, a lot of these dictators were night owls, or they famously didn't sleep that much. And a lot of those, like, because I also listen to Indoctrination, which is about, like, cult leaders and systems of control, and a lot of those, like, cult leaders, they also famously just don't sleep or, like, keep everyone awake. So they mess up the circadian rhythms of their followers so then their followers are kind of disoriented and they they're not thinking like very logically all the time or they're just in heightened states of confusion and anxiety and stress and stuff like that but i was thinking about like if our sleep patterns puts us into sync with everything else around us and if we disturb those this is total conjecture like i'm linking things that just have no scientific basis and probably shouldn't be done i was just thinking Well, isn't it interesting that, like, all of these delinquent dictators are out of natural rhythm and pattern and not in sync with the majority of living life and human beings around them? Is that
1: indicative of something? What I'm hearing is... I'm going to become a dictator. You heard it here first.
0: (laughs) Another thing I got kind of hung up on on way too long was how air travel ages you or doesn't because there are two different things going on here. So according to like the theory of relativity, the faster you go, the slower time goes. So there's that famous sort of thing you learn in physics. If there are two twins and one goes up into space in a rocket, you know, on a really fast, like nearing the speed of light and comes back, The twin on the ground on Earth, who was not moving at that speed, would be way older than the astronaut twin. So, like, yeah, the faster you go, the slower time goes. But then, on the other hand, the higher you go, the faster time goes. So, like, gravity slows time down, which means basically your feet are going at a different time than your head. Your head goes faster, technically. Like, time is relative to height. What if I walk on my hands? Then your hands are going faster no but if you're walking see this is the thing that got me for a long time because i was like wait if you're traveling by air you've got two different things happening you're going fast but you're also at a height so are you aging faster or slower that was my basic question which i mean nobody needs to know but i did find out the answer (laughs) so there's this physicist called chin wen Chao, who's at the national institute of standards and technology in Boulder, Colorado and he did the math and it turns out that frequent flyers, they actually age the tiniest bit more quickly than those of us who don't fly that much. So planes travel at high enough altitudes that the weak gravitational field speeds up the tick rate of the clock on board more than the high speed slows it down. And they kind of illustrated this in a tangible way by taking George Clooney in Up in the Air, Mm -hmm. who's constantly traveling. Like, I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a really good movie. He's a constantly traveling businessman. He was racking up like 10 million frequent flyer miles. So Chow calculated that he's 59 microseconds older than his colleagues who stayed back in Omaha. So that's how much you age. If you travel like a lot, lot, lot.
1: The very last bone that I have to pick that I would like to end this episode on also has to do with being up in the air. I feel like you oftentimes, maybe not so much since Corona, but pre-Corona, you would see a lot of people doing face masks and like doing very skincare things on the plane. If you go to YouTube, you see so many videos on like skincare routines for planes and stuff like this. And I love Alexa Chung. Love her so much. She, pre-corona, did this series with Rio Newton. I forgot her second last name, but she's from The Strategist, about skincare routine on a plane. And Rio, basically, I should add, Rio writes for The Strategist about skincare and has absolutely no medical knowledge about skin. She's just a woman who likes skincare, which I feel like is the first red flag. And she's showing Alexa her, like, routine. She's like, I wash my face and then I put this on my face and then I do this sheet mask and then I put this on the plane. And then if you go into the comment sections, there's like dermatologists being like, do not do this. There's this woman on YouTube who is a certified dermatologist. We'll link to her videos in it. And she does these reaction videos to beauty YouTubers tutorials where she essentially is like, so for medical reasons, here's why this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And she also does a reaction video, I don't think to this specific video, but to other airplane skincare videos. And she's like, the air in that plane is terrible. It is recycled air. You want to do all of your skincare before you get on the plane. Do not do any skincare on a plane. That is the worst thing you can do for your skin. It is even worse for your skin than not doing anything on the plane. And that is why do not take tips from beauty YouTubers because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Always listen to medical experts.
0: You heard it here first. That brings us on to our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, try and respect your circadian rhythms because it's kind of important for your health.
1: Number two, if you are traveling and when you feel jet lagged, rather than pushing yourself to feeling normal accept that your body is going through something shocking and take the necessary steps to help your body adjust but don't expect from day one to day two everything to be fine again
0: and number three the next time you do anticipate being jet lagged try and use one of the apps or calculate it so you start dealing with it before you catch your flight thank you for listening
1: until next week goodbye If you like this show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as €4 a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal
0: tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at
1: misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, request or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.